0: Anyway, welcome to the uh, New Testament, Old Testament synergistics class. Um, how long this class, it will go no longer than six weeks. Whether we make it to six weeks or not, I don't know. We'll see. Um, we will go lo- no longer than 90 minutes. Will we go the entire 90 minutes? Probably not. I don't know. I'm not one to want to fill the allotted time because the time is there. And so, if I'm done, then I'm done. And so, if that's 45 minutes, it's 45 minutes. If it's 60 minutes, it's 60 minutes. I'm not just gonna fill in time just because the time is available. Um, Because normally, when I'm in that situation, in other words, when when I'm participating uh, in something, I can tell when people are, you know, start, you know, doing fillers, if you will. In, in many cases, it's not very hard <laughs> to, to ascertain. And, and it's, a, it's a horrible feeling because you're like, come on, man, wrap this up. Man. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't like being in that situation, so I'm not gonna put anybody else in that situation. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, what is this class about? And why I explained a little bit on Sunday, uh, but for those that weren't there, I'll do a little bit of a repeat. Um, last year, uh, August 1st, I started a, um, a series. I call it the Word Encounter. And uh, every day, initially it was scheduled to go for 15 minutes a day, from Revelation. Excuse me, from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through the Word. Um, and I find myself being real cramped in the 15 minutes, having to truncate things too early. So. I extended it to 30 minutes, and so most of the episodes after October of last year were between like 22 and 29 minutes, somewhere, somewhere around there. And we went through every chapter, everything. It's kind of like Paul Harvey's, uh, uh, not Paul Harvey. Um, what was the guy's name? Uh, through the Bible, what it was. Is. I forget what his name was. But anyway, it's kind of like that. So we went, we went through the whole thing. And, um, and I was, as I was going through, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to you know, go through the Word and whatnot for your own edification, for your own study and whatnot. It's a different thing when you're going through it in order to prepare material and lessons for other people. You know, because you have to have a different level of understanding and comprehension if you're going to attempt to explain things to people. And so typically in the past, you know, I would go through it and I said I have no idea what this means and I would just go on to to the next thing, right? Until I found something that I could, you know, dig my heels in and really grasp, but I didn't have that luxury. And so it, this was a much more comprehensive, it was the most comprehensive study that I've ever done. And I've been through the word 11 times. And so um <clears throat> But when you do it for other people, it's a, it's a different situation. And so you know, in going through it, I picked up a lot of things, obviously, that I had not picked up before because I was trying to predict questions that people would have so that I could answer them in the process of delivering that day's message. Does that make sense? And so, um, and so there are a lot of questions I had in a lot of books that, uh, that got answered, actually. Um, uh, particularly Daniel and in, in Revelation. There were a lot of questions that I had in those particular books. And, um, and it, it forced me to really slow down, particularly when I got to Revelation, uh, and, and just dig into it as much as I could. So the entire thing took 268 episodes. And so they're all online on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, and you do Word Encounter Mike Greer, then you will be able to access all of the episodes. Okay, And I say that for a reason. I'm going to highlight a little bit later episode 177 and episode 268. <clears throat> because as I was going through preparing this class, I was like, hmm, I've already done a lot of this. And so instead of redoing it, let me just make some references to, to what has already been done. Okay. <clears throat> now, if I get back to why this class and the purpose, in going through it, you know, all of, uh, uh, I've been on social media for, I don't know, 12 years, now I'm still on social media but I'm, I'm more in an audit mode, I just look and read, because I just want to get a sense for where people are at, whereas prior I was very much engaged. You know, back and forth and argumentative <laughs> you know, and that sort of thing. But that wasn't prospering me or anything else as far as I was concerned. So, about four years ago, maybe five years ago, I made a conscious decision to go into more of an audit mode just to get an idea of what people were thinking. And so, as I was preparing this class, all of these questions that I had been reading over the years with regard to you know, people and their questions about faith and God and so on, so they started to surface. And so when I was going through my Word Encounter series and after I finished it, you know, I said, okay, well, what am I gonna do next? And it just things swirling around in my head. Then Apostle Linda asked me to teach a class. I said, well, I think I know what I wanna do. I think what I wanna do is I want to somehow um, bring forth some information that would allow people to marry, if you will, the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay, in order to leverage, you know, the Testaments for a greater and a broader understanding of the word, so that, with the goal of not only self-edification, but so that when they talk to people, they will be armed with information uh, to intelligently talk about their faith. You know, a lot of times people just say, you know they come across with well, I believe because I believe. and that's cool, but that doesn't do anybody else any good, who's in a real seeking mode. you know who they have real questions and, uh, and they want some answers. and I'm not talking about, like I said, on Sunday, people seeking a fight. that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that are sincerely seeking information with regard to making a decision about this God thing. you know And so <coughs> Uh, when we go through this process, um, a lot of times we don't want to get involved in those conversations because we feel inadequate in our preparation. With, we're afraid of what they're going to ask. And if they ask a question, I'm supposed to be the believer, and they ask me a question that I don't have an answer to, You know, a lot of times people will start making stuff up. Right? Or they'll start quoting some things that sound biblical, but that aren't actually in the word, you know? And so, for instance, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the word. Now that sounds awesome, right? (laughs) But that's not in the word. That's not a biblical principle, you know? If you want to make a biblical principle, God helps those who are stupid. Because that's what he has done. He has continuously helped the stupid people. Right. But that doesn't sound very spiritual. You know, (laughs) you know. God helps those who continuously turn their back on him. Doesn't sound scriptural, but that's in the word, (laughs) you know, so people will start making up stuff when they don't know, you know, and they just try to get the thing over. Just a quick story, you know, it's part of my story anyway. Um, I have been a a, a believer ever since I can remember. and. and the, the, the degree of belief would come and go, but there was always a sense in me, this God-sense thing. And sometimes it actually got on my nerves, to tell you the truth, because it was at odds with some of the things that I may have been doing at that time. OK? <laughs> so I was working at um, Ford Motor Company. And I had a colleague, turned in to be a good friend, an Indian guy from India, not, not Native American. and. Uh, and we had, I had been coming here to harvest for probably about two and a half, three months. Because what happened was uh, at 31 is when my wife got pregnant with our first child. And I said, okay, <clears> there's <throat> this, this no game time anymore. I can't, can't play around with this thing called life because I've got this other life that's dependent on me. And so I said, no, it's time to get serious. And so I started seeking some things of the Lord. <clears throat> And, um, but I had not engaged the Word yet. And so I'd gotten into this conversation with this Indian colleague, and, uh, you know, ventured into the faith realm, and he started questioning and challenging me. And I couldn't answer. And I got mad. I got very mad. And so then, about a week after that, I started taking the Word to work with me every day. And you know, I'm not proud to say this, but I would go on extended bathroom breaks. And I had my word with me to the extent that sometimes, uh, when I stood up, I didn't feel my legs. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and so for the next seven months, I devoured the word. And I did it because I was preparing for the next encounter that, by the way, never took place. I was ready. I was everything he asked, everything he questioned me on, everything. I was ready. Now my motives were wrong, because my motives were, I'm gonna put this guy in his place. That was my motive, but I never had the opportunity again to have that kind of free-flowing dialogue with him. It's probably a good thing, but, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, that was kind of my um, entree into what I call word preparation. You know, Because in that process, I was doing it for the wrong reasons, but I was so enraptured by the word that I couldn't wait to do it again and again. Because every time I went through it, more and more and more questions were being answered. Now the bad part is that for every question that got answered five to 10 more questions came out of that. And so pretty soon, it became obvious that I was in a death spiral, that this was not going to end well as far as getting to a place where it said, okay, finally, I've got all the answers. (laughs) That was never going to happen. And so I had to come to a resolution with some things. And so I had to tell myself, And this this is hard for a person like me. I had to tell myself that there are just some things that I will never know. And I have to be cool with it. I have to say, okay, I'm fine. If I never know everything, I'll just never know. But I'm fine because these are the things of the Lord and I trust you. So I just had to come to that resolution within myself, you know? And so, <clears throat> because you can why, 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 why yourself to death, pretty soon you're gonna get to an end. You know, like I tell people, I'm a mechanical engineer by degree, and so I deal with a lot of scientists and engineers and, and, and whatnot, and so a lot of times people in the science say, well, I believe in the science. You I say, okay. If you ask yourself enough questions, you're gonna get to a point where you're going to have to accept something on faith. If you ask enough questions, you're going to get to the end. You know, because the simple question How did life begin? Well, then life, and, then, and it says, Okay, you believe in that evolution? Okay. So then, so then man and then monkeys and then before that and before that and before that. Okay, but you get to this point. <laughs> so how did this earth come about? Uh, well uh, there's a you know big bang theory, this that another. Well, how did the bang take place? Uh, see at some point in time you get to the point where you say, Well, I believe it because I believe it. <laughs> That's called faith. <laughs> so, you know, I have a faith in the things of the Lord, you have faith in the science, but we both have faith. See, you're trying to deny that you have faith, but no, we both have faith. We just have it in different things. You see, because we we all get to a point where we can't answer that question, and so if somebody is insincere in their seeking, in their quest, then they will do that to the point where they can convince themselves that see, he doesn't know, but they don't. <laughs> they don't examine themselves with regard to what they believe. And so one of, the, one of the greatest skills, I believe, you can have is discernment with regard to when you're talking to somebody, to determine are they sincere or are they seeking a fight? You know, if they're seeking a fight or something, you're wasting your time. And so you might as well just, if you can discern that, wrap it up, start talking about baseball, football, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> because that's going nowhere. But the seeking person, it's not only what they say; it's also their their expressions and their mannerisms. There's just something about it that comes across. This person is sincere. You know, they're really looking for something. And so that's when we have the opportunity. I forget who it had, who was it? The guy was riding in the chariot, reading Reading the word, and the disciple came running up by. <laughs> yeah, Philip comes running up by and say, Hey, what you reading? <laughs> you, know, you know, yeah. What you, he says, Well, I don't know, but I don't understand it. You know, so Philip was sent there to explain. So, what does that tell us? That tells us that we have a responsibility to have you know, intelligent dialogue with sincere seekers. Right? You can't do that unless you have a certain degree of understanding of what this whole thing is and how the New Testament and the Old Testament play with each other and that sort of thing. OK, does that make any sense? <clears throat> so that's why I you know, did this class, and that's why I believe it's necessary you know, in order to have this kind of understanding. Again, it's for the edification of other people. It, it, well, in the process, it will bolster your faith, you know. But you know, we are we're, we're we're seeking to be at least I'm seeking to be more other oriented, you know, instead of always thinking about things that are affecting me and and that sort of thing. Okay. So, in going through this. You know, there were a lot of discoveries I had with regard to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's some things I believe that we need to do in order to get a better handle on Old Testament and New Testament issues. Um, the first one is timeline related issues. You know, timeline issues are important. You know, when does it see the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, is not written in chronological order. OK. And so it, it jumps And so, um, and sometimes that can be confusing. Matter of fact, uh, first few times I was going through the word, I thought I was crazy because I was reading something, and I said, "Didn't I read this before?" (laughs) You know. (laughs) And so, because Kings and Chronicles have a lot of the same dialogue, covering the same stuff, and so I was reading. uh, maybe, no, I don't think I read. Wait a minute, that sounds so familiar. And so I was, I thought I was going nuts because, um, you know, I was reading the same things. And I understand, the, understood the New Testament, you know, being you know, uh, different uh, perspectives on the same events, but I didn't know that that was the situation in some parts in the Old Testament. And so I thought I was going crazy. And so um so timelines are important. Okay. To have an idea of this book that I'm reading, when did it occur in this in the history of the timeline of the Old Testament. Okay. Now, the timeline of the Old Testament is probably 4 5 6000 years or something like that. You know, I, I don't know. <clears throat> There's debate on when Adam was, you know, born and that sort of thing. I don't know. Um, the New Testament is about 90 to 100 years. And so the New Testament is essentially one lifetime, okay? And the Old Testament, you know, several, several lifetimes, generations, you know, know, centuries. And so, you know, the timeline between the two is very different. You know, New Testament is about two-thirds of the Bible. I mean, Old Testament is about two-thirds of the Bible. New Testament about one-third, somewhere around there. And um, just a lot more... um, information and whatnot in the old testament so i'll be right back OK, so I'm just pass, or handed out a timeline of the Old Testament. You know. And in episode 177 of my Word Encounter series, I go over this in detail. OK, as far as because uh, this was the episode uh, that concluded the from Genesis to Malachi, the entire Old Testament. And So I summarize the Old Testament in that episode. Okay, and so um, and so here's a timeline. This for for your you know for your benefit, just because it helped me a lot when I look at stuff like this. It gives me an idea of when things occurred as far as the books and the timeline and and all that sort of thing. Okay, so I hope you find that beneficial. Similarly, I'll be right back. This is a timeline of the New Testament, okay? And so we see where the books fall in the timeline, you know, the events of the books in that particular timeline, okay? Does that make sense? And so I've got one more thing, well, two more things, but I really like this one. I'll be right back. And this is both the Old and the New Testament, a little more condensed timeline than the previous two that I handed out. So you can see that there's a 400-year gap between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And some people call it the silent period or, you know, God wasn't heard, or whatever. But so again, the Old Testament you know, can be four, five, six thousand 6,000 years old. Depends on, you know, when, um, when one considers it uh, uh, the beginning of the Earth, if you will. And so, um, and I know that's, that, that is at odds with, with science, you know, millions of years old and whatnot, but I don't think they're at odds, you know, because I think uh, that there was a mass, but then that out of that mass, God formulated the Earth. And so it depends on how you're going to define the beginning of the earth. You know, what is the earth and that sort of thing. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it just depends on how you look at it. Um, And then, um, you know, when Adam was born, the the word doesn't specifically say, you know, I think, you know, I don't know. Again, four or five, six thousand years, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I don't think anybody is sure when that took place or what happened. But from that point, we can start tracking things okay, in, in, in time to see um, what's going on there. And I'm going to uh, hand out one more thing. And this is just, this is a Bible study that is in chronological, Now, I just discovered not too long ago that there are actually chronological Bibles. I didn't know that. And so, um, you know, you don't need to have a chronological reading plan. You can get a chronological Bible and things appear in the order of uh, chronology. Now, there are some books in the Old Testament, not exactly sure when they were authored, like Job okay not exactly sure you know because there's some references and so people are making some educated guesses with regard to when it actually took place um ruth is another one Uh, esther is another one and so not exactly those those books uh, those books and then if you add proverbs uh psalms ecclesiastes in the Song of Solomon, they don't fall in the story of the Old Testament, if you will. They're standalone books. They don't reference anything else. They're just standalone. but they're sprinkled through the Old Testament, you know, and there has to be some kind of reason and rationale behind that, but I'm not sure what it is. <clears throat> but they're not a part of the chronology of the, of the story of Israel. And so, um, so there are some guesstimates that are being that have been uh, conducted by scholars with regard to when exactly some of those events took place. Okay. <clears throat> it's interesting because some of those books are actually my favorite books, um, and they're standalone, and and one, except for Job, I do not like Job. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and the thing, I mean, I got a lot of questions of the Lord about Job because the Lord restored Job at the end. Right. Yeah. But what about his first kids? <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, Job got a new family, new family. but, you know, his, his, his firstborns, they, they paid the price. You know, yes. You know, and so, and then this whole, this whole negotiating with Satan thing, that bugs me, you know? And so, because uh, it sounds like, you know, Satan is is cutting a deal. He says, well, this only happened because you, you kept your protection around Job. You know, if you didn't have your protection, then something else would have happened. And God says, well, okay, I'll remove it. You know, so it sounds like they're they're in this negotiation thing you know, which is uh, which is weird but there is in my opinion this is my opinion there is some kind of relationship between the enemy and God that we don't understand and, and the reason I say that is you can go to Jude and I think it's chapter nine And there's a strange verse to me anyway in there. So it says in there that the Archangel Michael did not dare, did not dare essentially um, um, talk bad (laughs) about Satan. It says all he did was rebuke him with Jesus's words but it says he did not dare. So there's some kind of thing there. I don't know if God looks at Satan as as his unruly child that that he has to discipline. And so it's for me to discipline him. It's for you to put him under your, your feet, but it's not for you To disrespect them, or something, there's there's something interesting going on there that I don't get. And so, um, but that particular scripture in Jude has always troubled and fascinated me at the same time because I don't get it. And there's a lot of those I don't get it throughout the word for me. And I just say, like I said before, I'm cool with it. And some of those I don't get it's I actually got later on, you know, and so it, it, it's, it um, could be a revelation of my growth, if you will. So well, I didn't get it then, but oh, OK, now I understand. <clears throat> so. Um, so as we look at the um, at the Old Testament, let me jump back here. And these are just some of my notes from when we were covering the Old Testament. As we go through the Old Testament, um, first of all, you know, obviously we get into creation, right? And then we get the story of Adam and Eve. And then it goes to Noah and the flood. And then we get to Abraham and Isaac. And then we get to Isaac's kids. We get to Jacob and Esau. And then we get um, uh, to their kids. We get to Joseph and the brothers and the story of Joseph. And how his brothers jacked him up you know and that sort of thing now now joseph was he was a little he was a little jerk you know (laughs) he was a little jerk and and you know he was he was boastful and his brothers got tired of that and so they they sought to get to get rid of him but we know how that turned out and it was to their benefit actually and so Uh, So that was cool. And then from there, we go into Moses and, uh, you know, we get into Moses and a lot of detail, a lot of information on Moses and his his trials and tribulations. And uh, and, you know, I I think when you say Moses, everybody has an image that gets conjured up in their head with regard to Moses. but a lot of the stuff that I read about Moses is actually comforting to me because the word reveals that he was human, you know, and he had human frailties. And, um, and you know, it, it, uh, you know his, his, his encounter with the Lord with regard to uh, the Lord giving him his instructions as far as what he was to do and Moses pulling everything out of his hat to get out of it, you know, begging and pleading, Lord, please don't make me do this, you know, please, to the point where God actually got exasperated with his pleading, you know, and like I said on Sunday, he got exasperated with his cowardice, basically, is what it boiled down to, you know, Moses didn't want to go face Pharaoh, and so he was trying to do everything he could do to not face Pharaoh, Uh, but that was God's plans, and Finally, I mean, he didn't capitulate. But he said, "Well, you got a brother, don't you? Go get him. Go with him." And so, <laughs> but you're going. you know. And so, um, so we cover Moses, and for Moses, we get into Joshua. You know, and, and uh, Joshua and Caleb and scouting out the land when everybody else cowered, and you know, because everybody else was saying, "Look, that land is filled with giants. We can't do anything with them. You know, they'll kill us." And Joshua and Caleb said, okay, we'll go. (laughs) And so they went, but they got rewarded for their bravery. And so, um, and then from there, we get into the judges, you know, we, um, I skipped over, skipped over the exodus, basically, you know, uh, Israel coming out of, uh, out of Egypt and, and all that that entailed, going into some detail into that. And uh, every Every April or into May, I, I watch the Ten Commandments. Um, there's and I know there have been some remakes, but the the Cecil B. DeMille one is the one that I watch. And uh, that that sucker's long. <laughs> you know? I think it comes on at like 7:30 or something like that, and then it ends close to midnight, you know, and most not and yeah, there are a lot of commercials in there and that sort of thing, but um, there's just something about that movie, and you know I could probably recount every scene, but I watch it every year, uh, and just you know all of the things uh, that took place, and some of the things you know I just kind of find funny uh, in, in, in the movie's depiction of them, but um, I don't think crossing the Red Sea was probably quite like it was depicted um, I think that there were probably a whole lot more chariots and, and soldiers and, and that sort of thing. A, probably a lot more carnage than what is uh, displayed in that. Because, um, yeah, because it says, you know, Pharaoh took his entire army. And so that had to be a whole bunch of folks, you know, going out there. And, um, but I would have loved to see what the fire tornado looked like. You know, in real life, I would like to know. You know, just what what did this look like? You know, what was this thing that stood between the army, you know, and the Israelites, and and you know, was it a wall or what was the deal? I don't know. And so, um, and so there, the 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 Israelites cross over uh, into the promised land, but um, they haven't actually conquered it yet. It was occupied, and. um, Moses angered the Lord because he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And that, that seems like such a minor infraction, you know. And so he told Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses had his staff and he struck the rock. And the Lord says, because you did that, you will not set foot in the promised land. And so that seems like getting a death penalty for jaywalking. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly why, but that's what the deal was, and, um, and so uh, he hands over, you know, the, 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 the baton, the leadership baton is passed to uh, Joshua, and uh, Joshua had shown himself faithful for decades, you know, and so, uh, <clears throat> and so he got the leadership baton, and then from there, the Old Testament goes into, into the period of the judges' And, uh, you know, my favorite, probably my favorite biblical movie of all time is Samson and uh, and Delilah. And um, because to me, there are so many relevant lessons in that movie, particularly for young men. And so uh, I make my boys watch that, you know. And, and uh, I said, No, you're going to watch this, you know, because I mean this is thousands of years ago. But the character and nature of man does not change, you know. And so technology changes, processes change, methodologies change, but the character and nature of man does not change. And so we see where Samson's failing is right here, and that particular failing has failed, you know, fell F E L L. ED has failed many men, you know, in their uh, desire to satisfy and please women. And so I love, I love that particular story. Um, even the way it ended was, you know, kind of heroic to me. And so uh, that is actually my favorite biblical movie of all time. Um, and so the word goes over uh, all that Samson was given. How he, I'm not going to say he took what he was given for granted. I don't think he understood everything that he was given. And I don't think he understood the responsibilities that came along with what he was given. You know, and so, you know, maybe he did, but I, I don't know. I just don't think that he did. And so, But, you know, he saw the light and he knew what he had to do. And he did it. And then we get into the book of Ruth again. This is kind of a standalone book. It doesn't really fall in the chronology of, of Israel. And then um, and then we get into Samson, excuse me, Samuel, Saul and David. And uh, I think just from my experience in, 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 in being in Christian communities and talking to people, it seems like out of all the things in the Old Testament, other than Proverbs and Psalms, the thing that people are probably most familiar with are Saul and David. And so the word goes into, you know, Samuel's relationship with Saul, you know, telling him who he was, uh, speaking into him who he was, and, um, and then Saul. I, I think probably Saul is typical of most people and what they would do if what happened to Saul happened to them. And so Saul did some good things and then he started to to wane and go south and whatnot. And so David was anointed as his replacement, but he couldn't do anything until Saul was deposed, but he wasn't to be deposed at David's hand. And so David had to be on the run away from Saul, because Saul knew that David was his replacement, so he was trying to kill him before that could take place. <clears throat> and so then we get into David, and David, um, who was lauded by many of us for all his wonderful things, but again, he had failings. And so <clears throat> the greatest one is the one with Bathsheba. And this is just, you know, when you read the story, it's like, in the back of my mind, it's like, man, this is ruthless, you know, <clears throat> You're reading. It's like David, man, what you doing? You know. So this guy, you know, Bathsheba's husband is a warrior. You know, a brave warrior, and whatnot, and a man of noble character. Noble character. David sends for him to come in, essentially uh, trying to get him to sleep with his wife because David had already slept with his wife and she was pregnant. And so he wanted to pull what we call the okey-doke on this guy. He said, go sleep with your wife, you know, (laughs) so that, that, you know, you think it'll be your kid. But but this guy was too noble. He says, no, I'm not going to come back and sleep with my wife and enjoy the pleasure of life while my men are out there fighting and dying. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, you know, in, in, in regular wars, and, or normal wars, there's a period of R&R, where they, you know, rest and relaxation, where they pull the guys from the front lines, they send them somewhere in a rest. And so this could have been a form of R&R, of R&R for this guy, but he said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's not gonna happen while well, my guys are out there fighting. No. And that frustrated. David. <laughs> Here, here's this guy, here's the lesson here's this guy showing nobility, showing honor, and that frustrated David. David, was there, David? Yeah, yeah, but he was chilling, you know, because the kings went to war, but David didn't go to war. He hung back, and because he hung back, he had the time to do the do, you know. <laughs> and so, So this guy is showing honor and and it just reminds me, how many times have you been in a discussion with somebody and you aren't doing anything but displaying respect and honor and whatnot, but you're on a different side of an issue and they get ticked, they get mad. And the best thing you can do in those situations and circumstances is don't get mad back. Because if you don't get mad back, that frustrates people even more. Because when a person is is wanting a fight, and the person that they want to fight with is not participating, that's extremely frustrating. Because there's no outlet. You're yelling and screaming, and, and there you are just sitting there calm, not getting upset, not getting angry. Now, most of us can't do that. You know, that's a very difficult thing to do but that's the way to handle that situation. Anyway, and so, um, and so David gets frustrated, so he sends him back out to the line. He calls in one of his boys and says, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go fight these guys and then pull everybody back and leave him there. And so that's what they do, and the guy gets killed. I mean, that's, that's just ruthless, all because he had fornicated with his wife, and she was pregnant, and he had to cover up the disgrace so he had a noble soldier of Israel murdered in order to cover up his circumstances. And then the prophet Nathan comes in and tells him a story. He said, what would you do to a man who blah, blah, who did this? What does David say? Who is that man? You know, this is, and, you know, you know. and then Nathan says, what? That man is you, you know, But what's interesting is what david's response was immediately immediately he did not try to defend himself or anything like that immediately he fell down and started pleading for forgiveness with the lord he he just like you're right i'm caught boom no no defense no trying you know a lot of times when people are caught well the Well, what about so-and-so? They did the same thing. Or what about, you know, so people want to deflect, you know, instead of accepting (laughs) what they know to be true. And so David accepted it and started pleading. And so then we get into Solomon's birth and and all that sort of thing. And and, uh, right about uh, that time, the kingdom divides. So there is, you know, there are issues between two groups of uh, Israelites. And so they divide into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And so now we have two different uh, Jewish kingdoms. And the experiences of the kingdoms are very different. Read the word. All of the kings in Israel were evil. All of them. Every last one of them, (laughs) you know. Whereas in Judah had a different history. It was like a yo-yo. They'd have a good king, a bad king, a good king, a bad king, you know, a good king, two bad kings, a good king. You know, they were going until about 200 years after uh, the Assyrians exiled the northern kingdom. About 200 years later, then Judah was exiled by Babylon. But Judah had a run about 200 years longer than the northern kingdom and so god had gotten sick with the northern kingdom and then uh, the southern kingdom became detestable to him over time <clears throat> and so the old testament goes through those kings and their sons and and how um you know like hezekiah and some of the other uh, good kings in the south essentially eradicated and reversed everything that their fathers had done <laughs> and so uh so we had this con- but their sons you know, went the went to the dark side, if you will, and started you know resurrecting uh, things like temples and and of uh, of worship, not of God, and of um, you know icons and ashara poles and, and other things that people would worship. And to the point, like I said, that everybody got exiled to some other part of Asia, and so or north uh, northwestern or northeastern Africa. And then we get into uh, the prophets. The Old Testament starts talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. And um, these are prophets that prophesied during the time. Some of them prophesied just prior to the exile and then through the exile. And um, they were given different assignments. And some prophets were to prophesy to the people with regard to what their responsibilities would be, how they were to behave in their new territories Uh, some prophecies were to people that were in the new territories that were uh, targeted to go back and resettle Jerusalem and what they were to do, how they were to rebuild, and and that sort of thing. So we get into what is called the minor and the major prophets and and what, uh, what they prophesied and what they were to do and that sort of thing. And that carries us you know, through Malachi. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, that carries us through Malachi. And we hit Job in there right before Psalms. And, and again, uh, you know, Job is a standalone book. So it, it probably appears in the Old Testament way later than it actually occurred. Okay. And so, uh, and um, that pretty much carries us through Malachi, which is the last um, a prophet book in the Old Testament. And so when you go through the Old Testament, again, using these uh, tools, the one thing I did not include here that very, was very important to me um, are maps. And a lot of Bibles, particularly study Bibles and whatnot, they have maps in the Bible. And I think maps are important uh, because particularly as we get into the New Testament, okay, when we see the ministry trips by Paul and one these guys were on foot. And so it 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 it, it has a uh, it, it gives a, 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 a greater depth of understanding. If you understand, OK, he went from here to here and that was 90 miles. You know, <laughs> so how long did it take? And on the journeys of Jesus. Because Jesus was going around. You know, so if we understand, okay, that was 10 miles, ooh, but that was 45 miles, you know, and that, was, that gives us a greater comprehension of what is happening as they're going on these trips throughout these territories. So then, that brings us to the conclusion of the Old Testament. If we jump into the New Testament, um, we have the Gospels, you know, <clears throat> Yeah, Mer- uh, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, a lot of scholars think Merck was the first book that was written, and that some of the other books actually borrowed text from Merck. <clears throat> There's a lot of verbatim sharing, if you will, between some scriptures, uh, between books. Some are not verbatim, they're, they're covering the same event, uh, but they're not ver- verbatim word for word. Others are verbatim, word for word. And then there are, of course, events that are covered in some books that aren't touched in other books. And so, <clears throat> essentially, these are four different guys accounting for the period that Jesus walked the earth. And so those are the gospels. And I know some of this stuff you guys know, but a lot of people don't know this. You know, They just say the Bible is just this mysterious book. It has no organization, or anything, but it does have organization. And um, so I'm just trying to highlight some things as far as how the Old Testament is laid out and how the New Testament is laid out. And then the next time we'll get together, we'll start getting into, okay, how do they play with each other? Okay? <clears throat> Second part we're getting into is to Acts, uh, specifically the Acts of the Apostles. Okay? And so the book of Acts covers... Uh, the Acts of the Apostles, well, let me back up first, okay, the Gospels, and so for the, for the knowledge of those who might not know, the Gospels cover Jesus' life, and so we have Jesus' birth, we have Jesus' young life, you know, we have his birth as, as a baby, he reappears as he's 12 years old, the word doesn't really say anything uh, about him between that, those ages, you know, we really don't hear anything about Jesus as a teenager, so we, we, we don't know exactly what the situation is. We go from him being 12 years old and him preaching in the synagogues, you know, educating the, the scholars and whatnot, and then the next thing we know, he's probably about 30-ish. And so we don't know exactly what's happening in that time. So we go through his young life again, then, and then um, he meets up uh, with uh, John the Baptist. He gets baptized. John doesn't want to do it because John is like, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. He says, no, this must happen. And so he, he does that. And then, uh, you know, God kind of publicly anoints him, you know, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do what he says. <laughs> you know, And so, and this is done for the edification of the people that were there. And then, um, then we get into Jesus's ministry and his ministry trips and how he fed the 5,000 and the miracles that he performed. I brought Lazarus back to life. And you know everything that he performed, how he healed the woman at the well, how you know all of these things um, that he did, giving an account for his ministry trips. And so, um, and then we get into him uh, per, uh, preparing his disciples for his departure. You know, and educating them: uh, don't think that I'm essentially going to be here uh, till uh, you know we're not going to get old together, in in the sense that you know, okay. Because I'm preparing myself, and you know, Peter tries to shut him down uh, because Peter's thinking, you know, like most people think, think now and thought then that the most uh, the most important thing is the preservation of life. And you no, know, don't talk about you dying; you're not going to die. And Jesus tells him to get behind me, Satan. You don't let, you don't understand. There's a plan that's being executed here that you don't understand. You know, I have to. This has to take place. And so. Um, and so we go through his crucifixion uh, where people are, you know, calling them names and spitting on them and all that sort of thing. And then Jesus pleads with the father, don't do anything to him because you know, they, they just they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the plan. They don't see, you know, he's, he's actually pleading for mercy for these people that are actually causing him harm. And then uh, we go through his resurrection. You know, uh, he gets resurrected. Uh, and whatnot. And there's very little scripture on what happened between his death and resurrection. But there's some indications with regard to what took place during those three days and how Jesus had descended down into the underworld, if you will, and dealt with some issues And where the word says something to the effect that that's where he got the keys to the kingdom. That's where he snatched them from the enemy. And so, so some things that were going on down there, he wasn't just resting until he got resurrected. And so, um, and so then he's resurrected, and then he walks the face of the earth, revealing himself to his disciples and whatnot for 40 days. And then after 40 days, he ascends into heaven at the right hand of the Father God. And then we go into the book of Acts, <clears throat> where the apostles get empowered. You know, Jesus tells them, I have to go. The reason I have to go is because one has to come, and that one can't come until I go. And that one that comes, he will be instilled in you, and then you will be empowered to do all that you need to do. And so the apostles get, empower, the apostles get empowered in the book of Acts. The Spirit gets poured out over all of them and other disciples, and they start going on mission trips. You know, Peter uh, starts going on mission uh, mission trips uh, with Barnabas and going out, and and this is where uh, some of these maps come into play so that you get to see, you know, exactly where they went and how far it was from where they were and what they had to do uh, to get there and what they may have met. Because just like here, you know, you can go from here to, you know, Cincinnati, 250 miles. There's a different culture. And so... You get to different regions, they have different cultures. Nothing has changed. The same thing exists today as existed thousands of years ago. And so you get in, uh, there are cultural issues uh, that have to be dealt with when when, when these guys were going on those mission trips, just like when people go on mission trips today. Same thing. There has to be an understanding um, so that first you don't offend people unknowingly because that can happen very easily. You know, you don't know, like, so when I do, do this, you know that 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 kind of you know uh, gives the impression of you know so on and so on, or or I'm just thinking about something, or where. In another culture, that may mean something entirely different, you know. And so, um, and so knowing the cultural norms and and this this isn't sin that we're talking about. We're talking about just cultural norms that are different from place to place. Uh, so it's important to know the regions. Uh, that the disciples were going into and so we see that believers are constantly added everywhere they went believers are constantly added constantly added constantly added and then saul gets introduced and um, saul was being a good jew and persecuting the way it was called the way by those people and um uh you know christians of that day were called the way and so Paul was uh, persecuting the way of uh, being a good Jew. And then he had an encounter on the way to Damascus, met the Lord. Things totally changed. And so i me just go off script a little bit right here. Um, when we were on the hunt, we being the U.S., was on the hunt for Osama bin Laden and whatnot, I couldn't help. But in the back of my mind, think, what if this dude turned? Because essentially that's what Paul was. See, Paul was a persecutor of the way. And the way he's presented, he was, if not the most effective one, he was up there as far as being very effective at what he uh, thought his assignment was. And so, I've heard it said some people said he was a terrorist, and I guess you could look at it that way. Okay. <clears throat> but the Lord had other plans for him because there are certain things that needed to be done that only he could do. And so and he, only he could do it because he had the background, the persecution background, in order to essentially give a... From my perspective, a, a real-life demonstration of the power of the Lord, because here you have somebody that is, you know, happy to execute people of the way. Now he's their greatest champion. What? what this doesn't make any sense. You know? And it took some convincing of the Christians because they didn't believe it either. <clears throat> You know? I mean, just think about it. If I use that example, Osama bin Laden, and he turns, and we're having a service, and he walks in the door. What would you think? Some people that have a permit to carry might, you know, (laughs) might make a reach for something, right? I mean, if we're honest. You know, it's hard for us to to comprehend. You know, in our country, let me stick to our country. Some of uh, some politicians of a particular party that we might not care for, with regard to what we feel they're doing, as far as destruction of institutions and that sort of thing. How many of us would be skeptical? if they made a miraculous turn mm-hmm. and started preaching the word and started, we think, okay, what's the end game here? Yeah. <laughs> what are they trying to do? How are they trying to, th- th- he's trying to play me. Am I alone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So there, there, there need to be some... Convin- we'd be like the disciples. There, there's got to be some convincing, you know, that this is authentic, that this is real. Because, you know, theoretically, we know this is, we know this is possible. But practically, we're very skeptical. And so there's going to have to be some convincing, you know, that goes on. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing, because Jesus... He commended the the Bereans because he said, look, this this is what I give to you. He says, you study the word. You listen to what people say, and then you go and you analyze it. You know, you study it. You make sure that you're not being led astray. And for this, he commended them. And so we aren't just to swallow anything anybody says. But we have a tendency to do that with people that we like and then scrutinize the people that we don't like. And that's why you know, what I do is when I hear some information about something, and you know I have opinions on everything, so I, when I hear something that I agree with, when I hear people that I uh, um, want to agree with speak about something, I scrutinize what they say more why because i don't want to be manipulated because i know that when i am predisposed to believe something the probability of me being manipulated from disciples of that perspective are going to be greater because i want to believe it does that make sense and so i scrutinize them more i make sure that what they're saying is the truth and sadly A lot of times, most of the time, when I get into investigation mode about what's being said, a lot of things are exaggerated. And that is very irritating. Because I want to believe the exaggeration. But if I can't find authentic proof for it, then I can't allow myself to be manipulated by that. Anyway, um, so then Paul goes on his mission trips, and again, this is where maps are very important, so that we can see, you know, where he goes approximately. How, he, you know, a lot of times at the end of these trips, these guys were tired and they needed rest. And when you look at where they went, you understand why, you know, and what the situation was, and whatnot. And so then we get into the epistles of Paul, the letters, New Testament. Get into the letters that Paul writes. He writes to uh, the places that he has gone to found churches. He writes to the leadership of those places. He's heard about certain discord and whatnot with, within you know, Corinth or some other places. And so he can get very specific about writing to very specific people about specific problems. You know, and a lot of times these people in these problems, they're, they're universal. They're not just what that person is. You know, he deals with a lot of relationship issues between this person and that person, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, and the main thing that he's, he deals with is the, uh, the pre Christian culture, the Jewish culture, uh, bringing tenets of the Jewish culture into Christendom and trying to make those tenets requirements for new people that aren't coming uh, from a Jewish background into the way. Okay? And the biggest one being circumcision. And so, um, and this actually called a, caused a split between the apostles. And this is, you know, interesting to me because it, it shows that you know there can be disagreement, there can be tremendous disagreement, even amongst leadership. Yet you can still be pulling in the same direction if you keep it in perspective. You know, Paul got so mad at um, I forget who it was. But Barnabas, it was Barnabas' boy, and he got somebody, he didn't want him to come. But Barnabas said, well, I don't wanna go with you. You know, and so, you know, we have these, these, these issues amongst the apostles, <laughs> you know, as they're going out and whatnot. Some of the old time Jews didn't want, didn't believe that Gentiles could be Christians and whatnot. So that was the first hurdle. And they said, okay, but they can be believers, if they can come to our, you know, <laughs> So I did a lot of studying when I was growing up of the Mafia and the Mafia's ways and, and their rights and whatnot. La Cosa Nostra, that's another name for the Mafia. It stands for this thing of ours. And so, you know, the, 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 the Jewish Christian council was acting like the La Cosa Nostra. And so they were saying, you know, in order to come into this thing of ours, then they have to do certain things. And so Paul rightfully looked at it and says, well, you're adding... You know, you're adding stuff on top of what's required. (laughs) You know, you're adding these things from your tradition. And this cannot be so. And so there was great um, disharmony amongst leadership surrounding that particular issue. Um, Then we get into Hebrews. And Hebrews is a very scholarly book. Um, Hebrews basically, it's not, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, and it's written, you know, to, to um, Jewish Christians wavering in their faith, thinking about going back to Judaism. And so that's one of the primary targets of, of Hebrews, is uh, they're, they're shaking on their faith and thinking that maybe I need to return. And so that's uh, one of the things. And, and, um, and so one of the themes is that Christ in his new covenant is superior to the old covenant. And so uh, Hebrews is presenting a case to those that are thinking about you know, turning away and going back. <clears throat> and then we get into letters from Peter, 1 and 2 Peter. Um, and these are encouraging letters to persecuted Christians and, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, he warns against false teaching. And then we get into Jude. Jude is Jesus's and James's brother. And it's an encouraging letter uh, to to teach the church to be uh, vigilant and to stay vigilant. And then we get, of course, into Revelation. And then uh, Revelation, the complete title is the Revelation of Jesus and uh, who Jesus really is. He comes as a lamb initially, then he returns as a conquering king. and a lot of symbolism, loaded with symbolism, in Revelation, and uh, I can't tell you how many times throughout my lifetime, I've heard various television preachers and whatnot preach on what's going to happen when, based on Revelation, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and it never happens <laughs> according to how they say, you know, and and uh, you know the times and seasons. You know, are are for are for God, not for man to try to predict, because then man just ends up looking foolish, and uh, that actually, in my opinion, does more harm than good to to our cause, because, uh, you know, these guys out there preaching this is going to happen, this this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and then the unbeliever hears that, looks at it, it never happens, and says this is a bunch of crap, you know, and and um, and so you know we have to. Uh, stay dil- diligent and whatnot and stay faithful and stay honoring and whatnot through the mess that some other people lay in front of us. I and mean, when I say some other people, I'm talking about other believers. <laughs> you know, you know, What is the saying? I've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. Yep. I think that has more truth than anything else. Um, you know, overcoming us. I'll give you a perfect example, my own testimony. Um, I stayed away from the things of the Lord because, like I said before, I had this deep sense of God, but I stayed away from the church and the things of the Lord because of the hypocrisy that I saw. And I, you know, now, I gotta be honest, probably a healthy percentage of that was me looking for a way to not. Conform, you know, and so and so Look at all this hypocrisy. This, this is this is garbage. This is, a, and then, but but a, a healthy part of me really believed that. I mean, it, some of it was me looking for an excuse, but you know, a lot of it was it was I, I was just turned off by what I saw. And then, like I told you, when I got into the Word, I discovered something. I discovered that I was allowing other people's example. To determine my destiny. I gave, other, I gave other people the power to dissuade me from pursuing the things of God because of what I saw them doing. And when I got into the word, I was like, oh, my God. They're, they're just not being faithful. This has no reflection on what this says. You know, I can't let other people determine my faith. And so that's why it's so important for everybody to have that personal relationship. And to have that personal relationship, there has to be a certain degree of knowing of God. And part of that knowing is intimacy with his word. And so I just wanted to uh, lay the foundation uh, for the Old Testament. And the New Testament tonight so that next week we can get into, okay, like the revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament and, and, and that sort of thing. Because part of what really turned me on to the things of the Lord were the prophecies in the Old Testament manifesting in the New Testament. And so those were like, um, you know, that was like epoxy to me as far as cementing me you know, into the things of God.